I don't know if it's because in five days I get to go away and kind of like, you know how you ramp up to an end? Like, and so you're just like, can I just get one more day done? I don't know if it's because for the last eight weeks I've been trying to share and to teach and to lead, and then I've been also carrying burdens and walking through difficult problems in life with you and at home and all of those things. I, I don't know if it's my lack of sleep or my lack of structure or my lack of schedule or just my lack of being able to say no to things I need to say no to. But I just don't want you to consider that question. How are you doing? Because, see, you're checking all the boxes of life the best you can, but are you checking on yourself? Are you succeeding in self-care? Are you doing what it needs to take for you to survive, not just for you to pass a class? This week, as I asked that question, I had multiple students, before they even said a word, just swell up with emotion because they began to look into how am I doing and they realized it was not good. On the outside, things look good. On the outside, they seem to be doing everything they need to do to get to where they need to be. But what I've learned is the snow week didn't provide rest, it piled responsibilities. What I've learned is classes aren't easier on Zoom. No, they're more draining. And our fears and our insecurities and our inadequacies and our idols are being exposed as we stretch ourselves beyond our capacity and what we were made to be because we have been working for the last 45 days and forgotten to rest, forgotten our God, forgotten that we need to sit and abide in Him and that He gives us strength. And instead, we have drained our strength and we are empty and now we are about to break. Last spring, my final message, I think before the shutdown, was a message I titled, Unmasking the Mental Illness in Our Midst. And this week, I have walked through issues with students that are real, that are painful, that are hard, some that need extra help, some that just need some prayer and just some time to talk it out. Well, what I did, when we talked about that last February, what's been interesting is so many students have come with, to me with their deep hurts, their deep pains, their deep shame, their deep fears. Some are struggling with clinical or seasonal or situational depression. Some of you are struggling with diagnosed anxiety or just anxiety that you're feeling because of circumstances that are going on. I have been able to counsel students through self-loathing, through self-harm, through self-depreciation. Just They are struggling and so here's just what I need you to know before we jump into this awkward transition into one story. Here's what I need you to know. You are known. Just about every single person that walked in this room, I think, made eye contact with me. I see you. I know your name. But I also am willing and wanting to know what's going on in your life and to walk through that with you. Because you cannot do this alone. You are known. You are valued. You have a purpose. You matter. You may not feel that. You may be comparing yourselves to everyone else and go, I do not measure up to them. I don't care. You have a value. In this place, on that campus, in this world, 
please know that, hear that, and feel that. And finally, you are loved. Those are my three points from that message back in February. You are loved. Imperfectly by the people in this room and perfectly by a God who cares about you and sent His Son for you, but also wants to walk through the valleys and stand on the mountain with you. You are known, you are valued, and you are loved. That doesn't mean that your pains aren't real, your sadness isn't real, your doubts aren't real, but it also means that God is real in those pains, in those sadnesses, in those doubts. And so, please, if you feel like a failure today, if you feel like you are failing more than you're succeeding, if you feel like you are behind, that you don't know where to go, where to turn, what to do next, if you feel like everybody else has passed you by, if you feel like you are not good enough, that you will never measure up enough, know that you are known, that you are loved, and that you are valued, that you have a place, and that this breaking point, this failure you feel is not final. God doesn't abandon you in this nor has He forgotten you in it. I don't know who needed to hear that this morning, but that's what I know I needed to share. So I'm going to try to transition now to one story. We're going to be in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at real failures and failures that matter to God. Because here's the problem. I think too many of us worry about failures that God doesn't worry about. But we're going to look at the failures that matter to him and the failures that we need to avoid. So here's where we're going. Uh, we're going to start in Exodus 32. Exodus 32. Luke's going to throw it on the screen. Great job, Luke. You're doing awesome back there, bud. Exodus 32. We have Israel is being led by Moses. We've crossed the Red Sea. We've gotten the law, how the holy should live, holy, holy. We're doing all of that great, right? Maybe, not really, but we, we know what we're supposed to be doing. Exodus 32, Moses is up on the mountain talking with God, getting the Ten Commandments and learning how that he's going to lead this nation, these people. And he comes down, and he, this is what he finds, the people. All right, Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, and they said to him, Up, make us a God who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So here's the first failure that we can have in God's eyes. It's when we are impatient. The people are tired of waiting on God. They're tired of waiting on Moses to do anything. He's been up there, I think, about 40 days. We, we are ready to move on to the next stage, the next phase of life. We want to keep moving and so impatience is replacing God's timing. Rather than embracing the goodness of the wilderness, eating of the manna and the quail and digesting of the law, no, the people instead are saying, we need something we can see, something we can touch, something we can believe in, and we want that thing to save us. That tangible thing to worship is so tempting. You know what it is for most of you? Three letters. GPA. You can worship that GPA. Why? Because it is your salvation. 
It is what will bring you out of joblessness into a job you love. It is what will bring you out of undergrad into the grad school you desire. It is the salvation that you worship, that you, you put on a pedestal and you bow down to and give every moment of every day of all of your being so that it will become what you want to become. That's why automatic qualification to schools like A&M in Texas are so uh, intriguing and so good for us, right? We don't have to have faith for God to get us into Texas or A&M. No, I did it myself. See, the people say, let's build us a golden calf. Let's build us something we can see, something we can bow down to, something we can worship, and we'll just believe it will save us. They couldn't wait on God to answer. They had to build something on their own. Have you allowed impatience to grow and to take root in your life? Demanding that God work on your timeline rather than trusting and waiting on His. Where do you need to lay down a plan of your own so that you can trust in His? The next failure, these are completely disjointed, just go with it today. The next failure happens in a failure to listen. Numbers 20, the people are once again complaining because there is no water. Legitimate complaint, probably not the best way to do it, but we need water to survive, true. So the people are complaining. They've complained about food. They've complained about water. They complained about an impending army. They do a lot of complaining. Verse 2, now there was no water for the congregation and they assembled. This is Numbers 20, verse 2. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Not asking, not pleading, they're against him. Verse 3, why? The people quarreled with Moses and said, why? I mean, would that we had perished with it when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we should die, both we and our cattle? Okay complaining, whining. We need something. Moses is instructed by God in verses 7 through 9. Hey, Moses, here's what we're going to do. We're going to provide water. We've done it once. We're going to do it again. Last time, you struck the rock and water came out. Yeah, it's amazing. I did it. Don't, you know, don't forget that. This time, I want you to grab your staff, but instead of striking the rock, I want you just to speak to the rock, and water will begin flowing out, and it will provide for the thirst of all the people, this two million people, and all of their cattle. Here's what I need you to do, Moses. Just go and do that. Trust me. But see, Moses doesn't listen. Verse 10, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from you, for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank in their livestock. Now, let's pause for a second. I've been deeply intrigued by this passage called the waters of Meribah. Because see, what happens is the people need water and Moses provides water. But do you notice what happens there in verse 11? He strikes the rock twice. Moses starts arrogantly blaming the people for their lack of faith, and then, rather than listening to God, he strikes the rock. And there's a pause. What happens in that pause? 
Does Moses begin to remember what God has said, or does he rely on what he has done? See, in that pause, he has a choice. Do I listen to what God did, or did I even listen to what he had said for me to do? Or do I, on my own strength, in my own being, do what is done before, what I have been able to do? Yeah, I got through freshman fall that way, or yeah, I got through junior year just cramming one night. I'm just going to rely. I can do it again. And so what does he do? He powers through faith and trust, and he said he strikes the rock twice. I can fix the problem. I can solve the need. I can care for others. He doesn't listen. He does. If there was one line that would ever encapsulate my life, that's probably it. Jordan doesn't listen. Jordan just does things. Sometimes water comes out. Sometimes the people get what they need. But he's not doing it in the way that is honoring God and that is fulfilling what God has called him to. Is that you? God is saying, listen, and he is saying, oh no, I can handle this. This is how we did it before. I'm sure if I just do it again, it'll work out. Verse 12, terrifying verse. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy before the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What is the punishment of his failure to listen? It changes his future. He has denied entry into the land that is flowing with milk and honey, this land that God has given the people, this land that is good and fertile and fruitful. He has denied entry because he relied on himself, not on the God who provides. Students, are you listening to God? Or did you listen one time and you have just allowed that to linger in your mind and that is how you live? Moses isn't the only one that doesn't get to go to the promised land. See, Moses sends out 12 spies in Numbers 13. 12 spies are sent to go and scout out the land that God has provided to see if it is good and just to know what they're walking into. These 12 spies go out, and what do they say? They come back and they go, the land is good, fertile and fruitful. But it's also fortified. See, there's, there's big, valiant men, and women, I guess, in that land ready to fight us. Their cities seem to be impenetrable. They don't believe that God has given them this land. Instead, they believe that the battles are too difficult to fight. The inhabited land changes their future. See, fear is another failure. So impatience is a failure. Failure to listen and failure uh, to trust or fear is a failure. Forgetting what God has done. He has delivered them across a sea on dry ground, and yet they go, we can't take down these cities. He has promised to give them this land, and yet they say, no, 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 the people are too big. 
It actually goes back to Genesis 15. Yeah, this land's going to be inhabited by the Canaanites, but I'm going to give it to you. 400 years ago, he promised this, and yet here they are forgetting. Are they forgetting that it is God who goes before them and fights for them? Remember at Fall Retreat last year, we talked about that word ungodliness. Just a life without God. Failure to remember him, to honor him, and to live with him in mind. Have you forgotten God? In your pursuit of being all that you can be and being what you want to be? Have you forgotten that it is God who is going to fight the battles? Or do you fear that every battle relies solely on your strength? Are you strong enough, mighty enough, capable enough, smart enough to overcome this? Has fear crept into your life? Paralyzing you from doing what you believe God is calling you to do because you fear that you may not be able to? You fear what others will think if you do it. You fear that you will not make enough, be prestigious enough, uh, be able enough to do it. Is fear ruling your life right now? What they forgot is that God works for their good and for His glory, that He is with them in the calm and in the storm, on the mountain and when the mountain is in their way, that the one who call, or who, yeah, who calls them to will equip them for what is ahead. If God is calling you to something, why do you not trust Him to equip you for it? Or do you believe, students, that your future, your hopes and dreams, your acceptance into grad school, med school, nursing school, whatever school you want to go to, relies completely on you and what you can do? Have you forgotten that God is sovereign? that He is good, that He is in control, that He has a plan, that He has uniquely gifted you, that He has perfectly placed you, that He has specially equipped you, and that He has individually impassioned you to do something through you and in you that only you can do. Have you forgotten those things? And do you fear that you're not enough? Fear changed a whole generation's future. Those ten spies go back and in Numbers 14 convince the people not to go and fight the battles. They actually say, Numbers 14, I'll go to verse 3 here. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a a leader and go back to Egypt. They are abandoning where they have gotten because they are terrified of the next step. Rather than taking a step out and going, only God can have gotten me here and only God can get me there, they're saying, God, thank you for getting me to this far, but I can't take this next step. It's too much. It's too difficult. I don't know where to turn, how to do it. God, I I am too scared. Fear robbed them of the future God had for them. Were there armies to be fought? Absolutely. Are there battles to be won? Yes. But did you forget that God is the one who is fighting for them? He is the one that is going to conquer these things? Remember back to how they even fought their battles in Jericho? 
I don't know if anybody's ever used that battle strategy again, but I doubt it worked. All right, grab a few bugles and let's just start marching, guys. Yeah, on the seventh day, we're really going to shock them. All right, we're going to go seven times this time. Then we're going to blow our horns really, really, really loud, and we're going to scream. And I don't even think that a civil engineer would say, okay, well, yeah, because of the tones and the waves would make this crash. No, this is a supernatural activity that only God could do. And he brings down the walls. And then he also brings all the people into confusion where Israel wins a battle, losing zero members of their army. And they completely destroy this fortified stronghold in Canaan. Has fear made you forget how God fights battles? Has fear robbed you of a future that God wants to give you? That whole generation misses out on the promised land because of fear. There's greed that comes in after the battle of Jericho, a guy named Achan. You can find it in the very next chapter. A guy named Achan, see, he doesn't trust that the land is fruitful and fertile enough. So the gold and silver devoted to God, he needs to keep a little bit in his back pocket. Because he does that, the people go and then lose a battle because they're unfaithful. 36 people are now killed in a battle that should have been a lot easier to fight than Jericho. Why? Because God wasn't fighting on their behalf at that point when they are not faithful to him. Achan will lose his life, and everybody in his family will lose his life. But what was the issue with Achan? He believed silver and gold would satisfy what God could not. I cannot tell you how many students sit in my office and tell me that this salary that they're going to make or not make will or will not satisfy them. That... that this greed, we, we, use, we use acceptable godly language. Well, I just need to provide for my family. You really need to provide five times the median household income for your family? That makes sense? Well, I mean, I just need to be able to... Okay, you want to. Hopefully God will bless you. But you need to trust in God for these things. And maybe, I don't think God is just establishing our careers based on what pays the most. I think he cares a little bit more about his glory and his kingdom than your kingdom. That's just me. All right. Let's last one end on this. There's failure and impatience. There's failure in forgetting God. Failure in not listening to him. Failure in fear. There's failure in greed. Also, a failure that matters is in a failure to live for God. I caught myself this week in a season of doing a lot for God and failing to be with God. I was doing prayer. I was doing devotions. I was writing things. I was writing, you know, developing sermons. I was listening with students. I was caring about what's going on in lives. But internally, I was just dead, empty going through motions, checking boxes, even of holy and spiritual things, without being with God. That is the story of the promised land. The book of Judges, we talked about it last fall, is a great account of how they were terrible stewards of what God had given them. 
They didn't drive out the inhabitants. Why? Because they practically said, we need people to work the land, so let's just make these people. God had said specifically, get them out of here because living like will turn into, I mean, living among will turn into living like. They didn't care. They just wanted this because it was practical and it made sense. So what do we take away from their failure in the promised land during that time of the judges? Here's what I want you to see. Failures on the front end don't disappear when you're safe, when you're secure, when you're at home, when you're doing what you feel like God has called you to do. Failures of faith for the land turn into failures of faith in the land. If you are impatient right now, if you are greedy, if you're forgetful of God, if you're living in fear every single day, it's not going to go away when you're married, when you're making six figures. It's not going to go away when you have a house and friends and you're in a place where you know you're going to be for the rest of your life. Your insecurities don't disappear when your life is secure. I'm looking out at our friends right now, the gallows and the clings. They would laugh at that idea of, oh, our life is secure. <laughs> no. <laughs> the stakes are just raised. The costs are just greater. The temptation for impatience and greed and fear is just more real. These insecurities that you are living with right now are not going to go away, so we need to start fighting them today. The last thing I want you to understand from the story of the promised land, and who knows how I did teaching that today, is this. You can live where God has called you, but not how God has called you. You can live where God has called you, and be terrible at it, not pleasing to Him in any way. Let's, let's relate that to your life. You, you can feel God has called you to be a nurse, and you can be a nurse. And then you do nothing of which He has called you to do as a nurse. You can be called to be an engineer. And you can go and get your engineering degree and work as an engineer for the rest of your life and not be the engineer that God has called you to be. You can be called to be a pastor. But not live how a pastor ought to live. You can be where you are called to be and not live how you are called to live. That is probably the most terrifying thing as I look out at your faces today. I don't worry about you getting to your goal. I worry what it costs you and what you sacrifice along the way. Because what you sacrifice along the way, you're going to sacrifice as you're doing it. So you don't prioritize God now because school's busy? <laughs> Wait till you get a job, a kid, and other things that you have to do. You, you, don't, you don't prioritize devotional life because you, just, you have so much to study? Wait till you have things going on at home and grass that needs to be cut and dishwashers that break. Wait till you have families that need help and hurts all around you. It's not going to get easier, guys. You can be where God calls you to be and not live as God calls you to live. That's the story of the promised land. Failures on the front end led to failures when they were there.
Faith doesn't just magically appear when life gets secure because life never is secure. And don't wait till then because your story is being written right now. Don't think that it magically starts when you get a job, when you're independent, when you get married. No. How you live now determines how you're going to live then. You are setting the trajectory of your whole life right now. What are you prioritizing? Okay, I've said a whole lot of random stuff. I hope something stuck. Recap really quickly. You're loved, you're valued, you're known. Some of you just need to hear that today. Completely erase every, the other 15, 20 minutes that I talked. That's okay. You're not alone in your breaking. You have a place and you have people that care about you. You need to be checking on yourselves as well as checking on all those boxes. You also need to understand that these failures that matter, we need to start combating and to stop worrying about failures that don't matter. You can retake chemistry. Some of you have. Okay. You can't redo the 19th year of your life. And you can't re-establish relationships that you neglected because you were so concerned with those other things. Okay? Your failure is not final, and you are not a failure. You may be failing some things, but your failure is not final, and you are not a failure. God is still good. God is still in control. And God is still God. How you live now will look a lot like how you live 20 years from now. So please, live lives that are pleasing to God, that are focused on Him, devoted to Him, only and completely, holy as He has called you to be holy, honoring Him in everything that you do, and understanding that we're all going to have low moments. But we also all have places we can turn and people who will bear those burdens with us. Let me pray. Worship team, now you can come up. Lord, I don't know who needed this today, but I felt you knew who does. Lord, we, we fail you all the time. And Lord, I'm just reminded as I have read so many times over the last few weeks through the prophets in the Old Testament how failure is not final. The worst of kings, King Ahab, repents and God relents of his wrath. Why? Because a broken and contrite heart is what you desire. True remorse and true repentance is what you want from us. And so, Lord, we confess that we have been impatient with you. So we have built golden calves that we can worship that will save us. Lord, we have feared the enemies. We have feared that the, the hill is too great, the, the, the mountain is too large, the, the ask is too much, Lord. And we have changed our future because we have feared what you are calling us and what you have given us. Lord, we, we know that we do not listen. And instead, we rely on what we have done and what we can do rather than what you want to do in and through us and around us. And so, Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we have failed, but we also know that you use broken vessels, 
that you piece us back together, that we are not perfect, but your son is perfect and will uh, cover all our imperfections that will give us a perfect righteousness and that you still want to use us as imperfect people as a part of your perfect plan to bring people into a knowledge of your perfect love. So Lord, help us as failures who know that you have not forgotten us. Help us to prioritize you and to be devoted only and completely to you. Lord, change hearts today, change minds, change the way we live, and may we focus on you and you alone, because only you will satisfy. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Stand and sing with us. May we taste, may we see, remind us, oh.